Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Gadget Lab listeners. We're taking this week off from our usual Gadget Lab programming because of the Labor Day holiday. We will have a new episode next week. But in the meantime, we wanted to reshare one of our favorite shows from earlier this year. It's a very gadgety conversation with one of our more gadget-averse colleagues, Jason Kay. Jason uses a folding phone, but not for all of the techno-optimistic reasons you might expect from a Wired employee. It's funny that you think it's a gadgety conversation because I think it actually veers into the existential. It does. It really does. So as a lot of you may know, there's been chatter about folding phones the past few years. Are they going to reinvent or even reinvigorate the phone market? But they're not for everyone, right? They're really expensive. They've got some kinks to iron out. They don't really feel like the full-fledged, smooth slab phones that we've all gotten really used to. But for someone like Jason, au contraire, Jason wants that foldable friction. Like he says in the show that he actively chooses to use a foldable phone because it makes his interactions with his phone more cumbersome and more inconvenient. He has strong feelings about tech in general and how he thinks we should be using it rather sparingly in our lives. And his adoption of a folding phone is part of that. Yeah, it's a great conversation. I also propose marriage to him. (laughs) He doesn't really give me an answer. So listen for that. Yes. Also, a note about next week's show. We will have a new episode next week, but it's going to come out a day later than usual. We will be on the ground reporting some news that drops on Friday of next week, and we will release the new show the moment that news drops. And we can't say much more about it now, but it will be a good one. So we hope you enjoy this episode with Jason and have a restful Labor Day weekend. And we'll chat at you next week. Lauren, what is that? It's a flip phone. It is a Motorola flip phone. One of my first from the 1990s. I don't remember exactly what year, but do you hear that creaking? Do you hear that? I do. That That's, hinge? Yeah. And then the satisfying, like, goodbye. <laughs> See, now flip and hinge and phone all mean completely different things. They do. I mean, we don't really <laughs> use these anymore. Some people do. Some people are like... I'm going back to the earth. I'm living in a yurt and I'm using a flip phone. I'm going to be in green bubbles forever. I don't need any apps. But 
this is so it's so satisfying. You know what? Also, as I was carrying this into the office this morning, I dropped it mm-hmm. and I had not a fear about its fate. Yeah, because like, you haven't just, used a, it in 20 years. Well, yes. I mean, I'm not going to go by. <laughs> this is true. But I also, it's like a brick. It's like a little, who cares? There's no, there's no like, you know, OLED display here that, that I have to worry about. It's just, there's no glass. Right. It's just, it's just a little flip phone. Right. Well, it is an artifact of the past and may also be an artifact of the future with the creek and all. That was a, that was a good segue. <laughs> Uh, should we segue into the actual show now? Let's let's segue into the future. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. Still with her flip phone. <laughs> we are also joined today by Wired senior editor Jason K. Jason. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Oh, Jason, I'm so excited. I was promised by you, Lauren, that this would be the funnest hour of my entire week. Yeah, and in fact, I lied to you a little bit. In order to get you on the show, I actually told you it was going to be about 45 minutes. (laughs) But we're probably going to take up a little bit more of your time. But we're so thrilled to have you in studio. I'm here. This is your first time here, is that right? Uh, On this podcast, yes. I have been in this room before. (laughs) (laughs) What Jason is saying as he gives me eyes right now is that a short while ago, I asked Jason here if he would join me as a permanent co-host on another program, TB Announced. And Jason politely declined uh we had such a we had so much fun taping those pilots and we, like we had such great chemistry and everyone was like you guys should do a show together and then this is my favorite part jason said jason lives this lovely life up in like the berkeley hills right he's a bit of a hermit you're wiser than your years you like to read you don't you don't like to socialize unnecessarily and jason said you know i just don't think i want to come into the office that frequently that's not what i said <laughs> something this is like a, that is a flagrant misrepresentation and then guess what folks here i am the hammer came down and we are supposed to be back in the office now two to three days a week that's true but you've misrepresented me okay what was your reasoning then tell me why you rejected me i don't tell think people my thoughts are for anyone <laughs> but private people. Does that make sense? I don't really have an online presence. Um, very few photos, not a lot of social media. So I don't want any kind of personality beyond the word on the page. That's fair. You feel a sense of control over how you are represented when you are editing and writing. But podcasting, we go off the rails a little bit. Right. I say this, and of course, here I sit on this podcast, somehow convinced (laughs) back into this world that I so, as you put it, politely (laughs) declined. Oh, I love you, Jason. Okay, let's get this over with. (laughs) We're glad you're here. But there is a specific reason why you're on the show here, because in addition to, um, you know, not being as online as everyone else here and everyone else in our lives. You also have taken a step back from uh, mobile phones occasionally in your life, and you have a very unique relationship to, to phones. Yes. And I... go on. <laughs> we're, we're going to, that is the topic of the day. So that's, that's why we have you here. Well, it's something I, yes, I think I can talk about. We're going to talk about your specific device too. <laughs> sure. At some point. Today, we are, in fact, talking about smartphones. It's everyone's favorite topic. Jason's Not favorite, mine. Jason's favorite topic. <laughs> our phones rule our lives. Most of us love them. Some of us hate them. But I think that most of us hope that they never go away. 
However, if recent sales data is to be believed, we are also incredibly bored with smartphones. So bored, in fact, that we are buying far fewer of them than we used to. So on today's show, we'll talk about what the future looks like for the smartphone. Lauren, you wrote a story this week where you asked half a dozen or so technology experts to peer into the near future and tell us what is next for the phone. They made some interesting predictions, and the three of us will argue over which of those predictions are spot on and which ones are way off. But first, we should set this up. The reason we are getting all existential about the phone this week is because we've seen some new research showing that we are kind of bored with shiny new devices. Yeah, I think to say that we're getting bored is, is personalizing it a little bit. But some recent data has shown that people are buying fewer smartphones, that smartphone sales are slowing. And this is especially notable because in the fourth quarter of 2022, the holiday season, when people are usually buying lots of things, smartphone shipments declined significantly, more than 18% from the same holiday period the year before. And in general, last year, we saw the lowest annual smartphone shipment total since 2013. So the research firm that put out this data, IDC, said that this is largely because of like macroeconomic factors, right? Inflation and economic uncertainties. But there's also dampened consumer demand. People just aren't as excited or feel the need to buy the latest phones. And I think that's because, I mean, if we're going to put a little twist on this, because the smartphone is actually incredible. Like the way the smartphone is now, you know, each year we're now seeing incremental or iterative updates, slightly better displays or a little more battery life, or maybe the chip has gotten better. But like in general, you could use, you know, an old Pixel, an old Samsung, an old iPhone, and you're still having a pretty darn good experience. So there's really no need at this point to upgrade as frequently. So tell us about the story that you wrote for Wired this week, uh, where you put the question of the smartphone's future to various technologists. Right, I offloaded, I, I outsourced. <laughs> I went. I was like, who are some really smart people I can talk to that can tell me what the future of the smartphone is? Because I think we've actually discussed this sales data on this podcast before. Like mm -hmm. we talked about like, okay, th this like this era of the smartphone is over. And this time I wanted to say what's next. So I talked to people like Tony Fidel. A lot of people know who Tony Fidel is. He's the inventor of the iPod. He is a, a pretty famous builder and designer um, and asked him what the future of the smartphone was. I talked to a woman named Aya Badir, who was the founder and former CEO of Little Bits, and she's an investor and an entrepreneur, and she had some really interesting thoughts. I talked to a designer. I talked to a repair advocate. I talked to an analyst, someone who actually tracks the sales. Um, and there were a few themes throughout. A few people said foldables are the future. I find that kind of boring, frankly. I don't love foldables, but it, there was a bit of a consensus around that. J I, Jason actually has a foldable. We should I bring do. him in at yeah, this point. Here I am. <laughs> That's the sound it makes. See, look how much nicer that is than this old I prefer creaky. Here's the creaky. creaky one, right? Which which one and is that? Yours. Wait, this is the Samsung oh. Galaxy Galaxy Flip. The I'm Z not even flip. entirely the Z sure. Z Flip because you're Gen Z. I am certainly not Gen Z. <laughs> dare you? <laughs> How dare what inspired you? you to get that foldable? Uh, oh, such a great question, Lauren. Um, <laughs> By the way, we should we should also note this is the vertical foldable. That's right. This is the one that folds up and down like the old phone that I am holding. It's not the one that opens like a book. Right. The the clamshell, not the not the book. I should start by saying, I always like to have a combative, almost antagonistic relationship with 
the technology in my life. For years, I had an actual flip phone. Well, I shouldn't overstate. For a year in the last decade, I had a, uh, a real old flip phone, the creaky kind that Lauren demonstrated earlier. And is as unsustainable as that experiment was, I loved the fact that I hated my phone. And I do object to some of Lauren's language earlier in this podcast, claiming that smartphones are, quote, incredible, because they are <laughs> most certainly not. They are drags on our humanity. And <laughs> the entire point of the phone should be, on some level, to hate it. So I really make choices that maximize my hatred of the technology. Not to say I don't enjoy flipping this Galaxy Flip. It does have that atavistic snap. Very satisfying, especially when you're hanging up on a parent, say. Uh, <laughs> Poor parents. <laughs> but it is what happened harder. to you? Say what? What happened to you? What do you mean? <laughs> Never mind. Please continue. <laughs> I love my mom. We talk all the time. And I, I don't think I've ever, well, I shouldn't. Yeah, okay. One time. There was one time I snapped the phone shut. <laughs> uh, and it was entirely warranted. But you know, there are 99 times that I ended the conversation. So politely. If, if I'm reading into what you're saying correctly, yes. you got the foldable version of the smartphone because you realized that you needed a smartphone, but you still wanted something about it that you hated. Right. But again, I, I'm sort of misrepresenting it because I don't hate the fact that it snaps. It just makes it sort of harder to use, a weirder device in some right. ways. And I want to feel alienated from from the phone. Mm -hmm. uh, you wanted that barrier. Right. It weirds me out when people... I mean, it's the closest relationship most people have in their lives. That's It's with their phone. Yes. Uh, and this is in in incredibly disturbing to me. And I think we should find all kinds of ways to, to, to. Why do you think we should fundamentally love to hate our phones? Why, why, why is that, that relationship in your mind just inherently antagonistic? I was recently comparing it in my head to my relationship with Workday. And for <laughs> listeners who don't know Workday, I think they call themselves a human capital management software vendor. They are basically an HR software, the thing we use to file expenses and do performance reviews and so on. It's also one of the more profoundly torturous experiences <laughs> in our professional lives. And I, the cynical part of me thinks it's designed precisely for that reason. You know, if I'm out to lunch with a source and then want to expense that lunch, which we should be allowed to do, I might not because I know I'll have to you know, navigate drop downs and codes and permissions and approvals, and it'll still it still won't be approved. And I, so I just don't do it, which of course saves the company money. But less cynically, at the end of the day, I'm actually grateful that I hate Workday and that it makes our lives so miserable because it gives us that common enemy. It reminds us that the corporate overlords are evil. I don't want to love our corporate overlords, right? I want to hate them. And when a technology like this makes it easy for me to hate, I'm actually kind of grateful for it. Um, it'd be much weirder to me if it was so easy to expense something. And I loved expensing things. And I thought, gosh, I'm such a company man. The company makes it so easy for me. <laughs> you want <laughs> the friction. I want the friction. The friction I want is the, the pain texture points. of life. Exactly. And it, 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 in any relationship, wouldn't you be weirded out if a couple friend couple friends you knew, you know, came over and 
just were all over each other, said nothing critical about the other person. Everyone is so perfect. Everything is so perfect. That's not a relationship. That's a fantasy. Uh, not saying our relationships with our phones should be like our relationships with people. I certainly don't think they should. But uh, on, on some level, real relationships are full of friction and should be. Uh, so I don't, the, the tech industry has always valued things like frictionlessness and seamlessness and efficiency. And these strike me as very insidious values, which I put in heavy scare quotes. Doesn't that in some way, though, prove my earlier point? If I were to look at, okay, here's another phone I have here, which is just like the, you know, the standard iPhone 13, very smooth, no flipping or folding happening here. If I dropped it, it would probably shatter if I didn't have a case on it. Um, doesn't that just prove my earlier point, though, that this is actually quite an incredible device relative to the ones that you're describing that have the, the friction and the barriers and the like the you don't actually love to use. You don't get sucked into it in the same oh, way. Oh, I'm sure in some sense it is incredible what a cell phone can do. But I don't ever want to admit that it can be as incredible. Can, we, can we just like take a pause? Are you okay with me sharing your relative age here on this podcast for our By audience? Though I think age is... I, I, fairly a foolish I agree, and I don't want to sound ageist but like a lot of you listening might think that Jason is and I already described how he lives like a hermit up in the Berkeley Hills that the, he's, like a, he's like a wise the, and old man the Berkeley Flats Berkeley, pardon me the Berkeley Flats that's true I, yes, I have, the Flats of the future I have I have slept on an air mattress in your Berkeley flat uh, the the Jason is only 30 years old. 33. Come Pardon out. me. Oh, you're, it's your Jesus year. It really is. Um, that's why <laughs> that's we had you on. That's why you're on the show. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're young. You're, you're, you're young to have uh, such a, like a world-weary view of our relationship with technology. Oh, I wouldn't even technology. call it world-weary. I would I say that you have sort of an enlightened view. Thank you very much. Oh, I, I would okay. agree. But also, I think, you need to, I think you need to go a little bit easier on yourself. Say more. Like you don't you don't necessarily have to have that friction in order to have a healthy emotional relationship with the technology. I think that you can have you can still have a healthy relationship with good boundaries, even if that friction is non-existent or a lot less noticeable. This is probably true, but I know it's easier on me if those friction points are there. I mean, I have a kind of I wouldn't call it addictive personality, but if things were perfectly easy to use, I know I, I I would every so often completely fall into their traps. Sure. So the gift of technology, certain forms of it anyway, is that it is not perfectly easy. Right. And I can keep it at a responsible distance. Well, I'll tell you this. If you ever find a phone that you absolutely love, whether it's like an iPhone or another Samsung phone, and you are uncomfortable with how much you love it, we can get a case for you that has needles on the outside so that it's actually uncomfortable to hold the device. Well, I love this idea. I mean, I'm basically doing a version of that now. <laughs> Symbolic needles. But Symbolic needles. If need be, we can outfit my phones in very real prickly needles. I can Whatever tell, it takes. I can tell that Mike is chomping at the bit here to get to like more of the future stuff of the smartphone and what the folks I spoke to had to say. But... I mean, while you're here, we might as well ask you, what do you think the future of the smartphone is then? Oh, I don't even pretend to know. I'm, I suppose I'm gratified by this data that suggests the sales, sales are slowing. Are slowing. Uh, and maybe there's a kind of recalibration 
of our relationship with phones. I mean, more and more you go to dinner parties and people put their phones in a certain place in the house. And But then I see younger people who seem to have fully seamlessly integrated these phones into their lives. Younger people, younger yeah. than I am anyway. Uh, <laughs> And don't seem as troubled by it. So I don't want to sound too fogeyish and think we have to live apart from from the phones either. So I'm not I'm I, I, I'm not entirely sure. For me, the future of the cell phone is l using it less and less. And That's I, a very good point, and we will get to it in just a minute. Great. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, it's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. Okay, we are back and we are talking about what the future holds for our favorite things in the world ever, our smartphones. Uh, Lauren, I think the thing that sticks out to me the most, both in your reporting that you did that's in the story and also my own personal thoughts, and I know Jason's personal thoughts, is that our phones are not really going away per se. The phone will almost certainly persist as this thing that is very, very important in our lives simply because we have structured so much of our lives around the phone. One of the people you talked to, I think it was Erica Hall, mm -hmm. the designer and author, said that you can't really exist in modern society without a phone because so much of our social interactions are dictated by it. So much of the things that we need to do every day are reliant on us having access to the internet thoughts. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I was like, is that a prompt? Okay, yes. Um, yeah, once again, I think there's a little bit of a personalization or a projection that we tend to do. Like when Jason said, um, I think it's, you know, we're trying to use our phones less. I would like to use my phone less. It's easy to look at the fact that smartphone sales are slowing and say that that's what's happening. But actually, what's happening is just the world is saturated with them. Yes. In many markets around the world, most people have a smartphone at this point. So that's why the sales are slowing in addition to the macroeconomic and the cultural factors. So Erica Hall is right. We have pretty much reconfigured or restructured our society around the phone. She compares it to the car at this point. Like the car is not going away. And we've done things to make them incrementally safer and better over the years in some cases perhaps significantly safer but it's not it's not like it's just not going away at this point um a couple of the things that struck me about doing this story i mean there were the the hardware predictions around foldables or more encryption like a couple of people said that there are going to be specific tools that help us spot when fake ai generated media crosses our phones yeah like a spam filter 
Yeah, like a spam filter for Gen AI, which I thought was fascinating, or a specific, uh, Tony Fidel talked about a specific core or chip that actually processes that kind of data. Mm -hmm. um, that was that was like really interesting. But I actually think the, the more fascinating part is how people predicted we're going to use them differently. Like a couple people said, using the phone as a phone is just going to go away. We're not going to be talking on the phone anymore. So apologies to Jason's mom. <laughs> and to me, I and only. And to you. Yeah, I like people talk talked about, about voice notes. Yeah. And I've been finding myself using those a lot more when I'm driving and I can't I can't type or just be I'm walking and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to send this person a voice note and it's asynchronous and I'm getting my message across and then I enjoy hearing them. Um, yeah, so stuff like that, stuff about how like, the app stores are going to change. We're going to be able to like sideload more apps. And at the same time, we're going to be moving apps off our home screens so that they're not as sticky. Mm -hmm. I found that fascinating. Yeah. You know, I, the voice notes thing in particular stood out to me because I do think that the world is like weirdly moving towards voice notes. You know, people who would be uncomfortable talking on the phone are or even uncomfortable like conveying something more complex than a simple reply in a text message are using voice notes more so. Like just, you know, all the apps now, you can open up a regular text dialogue and then hold down the microphone and record 30 seconds of you saying something. Um, this was totally foreign to me until a couple of years ago. I have a few friends from Argentina. All of them speak excellent English, but one of them is very self-conscious about her her English. So instead of texting with me, she sends me voice notes. And I got into the habit of doing that with her. And then it started bleeding out into my other relationships. So now there are several people with whom I exchange voice memos instead of text messages, not for everything, but for, you know, the meteor stuff. This is really not so insane, though. I mean, what is a voice note? But it's a voicemail. A, it's a voicemail rebranded. It yes. really is. It's aioli. It is so much <laughs> less aioli. annoying than <laughs> voicemail. It's exactly though. the same. <laughs> it's not exactly it's, the same. Wait, explain the aioli metaphor, please. Oh, I mean, just it's, the great rebrand of mayo. It's, it's, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and for literal years, we, we, we said the voicemail was dead. How dare anyone even leave us a voicemail? We'll never listen to it. Yeah. An embarrassing thing only old people do. And here we are, as Mike and you, Lauren, both say, sending voice notes constantly. I, my brother and I only communicate in voice notes. It's usually our renditions of songs from our childhood. I was going to just good. show you guys something, but it appears as though, oop, that just accidentally called my own voicemail. For a period of time, my voicemail inbox was full. All messages from like 2019 and earlier, and I just never bothered to clear it because I didn't want people to leave me voicemails. Sure. And every so often, someone would call and they'd say, uh, "I tried to leave you a voicemail. You're just just so you know, your inbox is full." And I was like, "This is intentional." Do you not like when friends leave you voice notes? I like the voice notes, and I like that voice notes, at least on iOS, gives you the option to if it's just a fleeting thing, it just disappears mm -hmm. after that. Beautiful thing. It's it's like. What's the word I'm looking for? Ephemeral. It's ephemeral. Thank you. You're welcome. Or there's a little keep thing and you just tap keep and then you could save it like you would save a voicemail. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's growing on me. I, so I, I want to back up and, and argue with you about sure. this. <laughs> I think that sending a voice memo is very different than leaving somebody a voicemail because of the intention. Right. If somebody sent you a voice memo, it's somebody who you already have a back and forth text relationship with and they want to convey something that can't be conveyed in text or they feel would be a richer experience if they just spoke it to you. So they send it to you 
and it's personal and it's fun and it's in the same like thread. It's in the same venue as all of your other messages. So your main way of communicating with them is through this app. A voicemail means that somebody called your phone, your phone rang, you either ignored it or didn't hear it or looked at it and decided that you didn't want to talk to them, shut it down. And then they got sent to your voice mailbox and then they left you a message in a voice mailbox that they know is like a very friction-filled experience for you to go and listen to, right? There's a lot of work involved with listening to a voicemail. And then what do you do? How do you get back to them? Do you then go back to text or do you have to call them back? You can't just like send them a voice reply. I mean, maybe you can. I would know. I haven't responded to a voicemail in longer than Lauren has. I won't argue with you. I think you're probably right about all of that. To me, those differences though are mostly meaningless. At the end of the day, it's still in both forms a message that is voice. Sure. One, obviously, much more obnoxious in theory. And than tied to the, the phone. Other. And tied to the phone. So yeah, I see it more as a, as a comeback of voice, not this new thing that's emerging. And I'm very mm -hmm. gratified by this, by the way. I am someone who much prefers a phone call or at least hearing someone's voice to texting a, a, a bankrupt medium, mm -hmm. as we all well know. Why is texting bankrupt? I mean, are you ever satisfied by texting? Mm. For, for me, it's, it's, it's seeing the words on the page, that not the page, the screen, that turns me against really even my closest friends. I'm never quite satisfied with a, with a text. Jason, do, do me a favor. Open your phone right now and just read aloud the most recent text you received assuming that it's family friendly, which it may not be. <laughs> it's from my friend Lexi. I have procured a wheelchair, which I think will make our lives easier tomorrow. How is that not a satisfying Ooh, message? It's very satisfying. <laughs> that's like wait, that's like six words. And I will not explain the context. <laughs> it's like six word short story right there. Wait. I think okay. I I think everything we write should in theory be the last thing we write. And so much of text is expendable language. Here, coming, I already saw that, etc. Boring, nothing words, wasted words. Uh, and Lexi's text is, an, of course, an exception. Those, If she died tomorrow, I think she'd be perfectly fine having sent that text as her last words on, on this earth. Uh, Can we get Lexi on the show here? <laughs> She'll be in the office tomorrow. I have her on hold. Let me just press the button. So how do you feel about emoji reactions? Oh, I can't stand them. I've never, I've never used them. I, I can't never. even pretend to not like them because I don't understand never. them. Never. Not Wait, once in my entire life. Do you mean actually life. using an emoji or like a tap back? Both. Wow. I, I What's would... even, I will say, more frustrating than you even know about well, I'm sure you guys know about having a Samsung clip is that the Android operating system, not compatible with a lot of, or it hasn't been until recently, mm -hmm. with a lot of the Apple reaction emojis. Mm -hmm. I don't even know the quite right terms for this, so mm -hmm. forgive my... No, they're called tapbacks, and tap it's true. Backs. My niece, so I have a family thread, and there's someone on the family thread who has Android, and so they've like kind of broken up the thread. And so when that anyone does a tap back, it'll say, Lauren liked that image. Right, Lauren loved that out. image. And my niece and nephew, who are teenagers, quintessential teenagers, they're delightful. They've gotten to the tap back. They just type it out to make fun of everyone. So they do I. They just type out the tap back. I do that all the time. <laughs> I mean, great. that's very fun. But let me add that be for this exact reason, because reacting results in unnecessary, stupid, literal 
texts, uh, and this is true too of, of, of sending photos and videos. If I'm on a group thread with a bunch of Apple phone people, uh, nothing really goes through or the photos are blurry, etc. So it's gotten to the point where most of the people in my life, parents, friends, know not to send me photos or videos or react to any of my texts, which is, of course, incredibly liberating for me because I don't want to see any of and their photos. no fun for everybody else in your life. Oh, well, we, then we have fun phone conversations. And isn't that so much better? <laughs> Voice notes. Jason, I want to paint a picture of the future for you and get your take on it. As I was reporting out the story for Wired, I got the sense that we are zooming towards a her future because people talked about potentially looking at our phones less, and then having wearables maybe in our ears that are really powerful or have some compute power in them. And then also with the rise of, you know, what we nerds, we talk about NLP, natural language processing, these chatbots becoming really chatty and human-like. So when you look at all those things combined, it sounds like we're all going to be walking around like the Spike Jones movie, talking to Samantha or some, you know, Fasimil of it. Oh, you're talking about our, her, the movie. her, the movie. I thought you were Spike talking Jones. about replacing the patriarchy with the matriarchy. No, She's also I, talking that about also that. would be great <laughs> if we could have that happen in the future. I'm here for it. Tell us how to make that happen. But but um, what do you think about that as walking around just seemingly talking to ourselves, but actually talking to computers and operating systems? I'm not sure how much we want to talk about the credibility and excitement of these chat bots. But in, in, in my experience, the novelty wears off very quickly. So I haven't seen anything that could sustain a, a relationship. I mean, it's fun for the first two weeks, and then you want to talk to real people again. Uh, if anything, these technologies, I think, will make us voicier, talkier, more human. Uh, but I don't see a future, at least in the near term, where anyone's her-like forming relationships with these, with these, these sad facsimiles of sentience. Really? Really. E even with the, let's say, like the New York Times article that came out recently that Kevin Roos did, where the, the Bing chatbot became very irate and told him to leave his wife and said, I love you and all other kinds of weird things. It was very disturbing, but it was only disturbing for the first time. If that happens to you now, you'll be like, oh, well, this already happened to I'll be like, are you free for coffee on Friday? <laughs> also, are we talking about you here, Lauren? Do right. you have a relationship? Right. Do you like hiking and long walks on the beach? That's what I would ask the chatbot. It's also not super disturbing because Do you he... surf? I'm just kidding. Please continue. <laughs> It's also not super disturbing because he he prodded it, right? He said, like, are you familiar with Carl Jung and the concept of the shadow self? Well, what is your shadow self like? And then, like, engaged in this very long conversation with the shadow self. So, of course, it's going to be giving him answers that are dark and, and you know, antagonistic. Um, I, I don't know. Right. And if the machines do ever achieve any kind of consciousness, they're coming for Kevin Roos. <laughs> First, as they should. I mean, the man exploited their little baby minds. Yeah. <laughs> what For, a, clicks. <laughs> For clicks. <laughs> but what For clicks. But what about, okay, like. Great piece, by the way. Let, the, let's, uh, let's put the chat bot aside, like, as we're using it in, in, like, within a browser or a search engine. What if, like, we're able to just walk around and you, Jason, could say to your phone, um, you know, hey, flip phone, <laughs> whatever you're using, you know, uh, send a voice note to Lauren. Okay, great. Here's my voice note. Okay, great. Send. Um, with such fluidity, 
that it's like you really never touch the thing. Like I wonder if, um, and that is not a euphemism. Like I wonder if, if like, um, it's I don't know. The future is a little bit more voice friendly, screen less, and and um, NLP is a part of that experience. Or you just say call my mom because right now we have that supposedly we have that with Alexa and Siri and all the Google voice, but the, or Google Assistant. But like they're they're really quite clunky still. They are. It's you always- still have to pull your phone out. Yeah, yeah. Or like I have a couple of Google devices in like my bedroom at home. I probably shouldn't like, but you know, I have a screen and then I also like sometimes I have an Android phone sitting around and like I call out to, hey, hey G, and it just like the wrong thing activates. Right. Well, that's the upsetting thing about a, a, a lot of this voice technology. These are not in any meaningful sense conversations. It always upsets me to, when friends start talking to their technologies and do they do this in front of you like at dinner parties they they, they've learned to do it less but yes certainly they slip up from time to time (laughs) (laughs) they break your rules (laughs) about social are they ever invited back after that (laughs) i should say back to lauren's earlier point that there's a kind of inevitability to this full integration with our phones i don't know if that's true i certainly don't want it to be true and we can resist it in part by for example being pissy whenever a friend uses the device in a way you're not comfortable with if they're talking to it at the dinner table, obviously if they're texting at the dinner table, which is is grounds for immediate expulsion from the premises. But, uh, you know, we they don't, we, don't get to sleep on an air mattress in Jason's living room floor with a curtain wrapped around them. She's as talking I have. about herself. Yes. And then, uh, and then have deep conversations about living in a simulation. We, we don't have to accept uh, the cyborgian future if we don't want it and i think a lot of us don't this is this is something that you know we talked about earlier in the show and something that shows up in the story that lauren wrote uh this week for wired.com which you can all read on wired.com is that like regardless of what the future holds it is pretty evident to us now and will probably continue to be evident to us for a while that we do have a problem like our bodies feel weird after we've looked at our phone for too long Mm -hmm. you know you feel like you need to be refreshed after you've after you've looked at your phone for an hour. Uh, so I think that's healthy that like at least some of us are recognizing that. But I think, you know, those of us who maybe have a healthier relationship with our devices or those of us who remember an adult time before we had these devices uh, see that with a little bit more clarity. Uh, and so I, I'm all for like parents limiting screen time for kids. And I'm all for adults using the screen time limiting tools that are in every phone now. Thank you, Stanford, uh, so that we can you know, like continue to foster what is probably a more healthy, like physically, not to mention mentally, healthy relationship with the phones. Speaking of the future of smartphones, do you two think that these safeguards will be more? I mean, I certainly don't, don't use them. I don't really believe in their effectiveness. I think it's rooted in some sort of shame you've been on your phone for two hours absolutely feel bad about yourself yes. and get off see mike and i feel differently about this i don't think so i don't think grayscale or time limits or think like i don't know these are these are what's the word panaceas yes I, 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 yes i just don't think i don't think that's the solution i think it has to be a, a much more human-centered one that there has to be kind of a groundswell effect that makes us change the way we use right. our technology oh yeah there i mean there is no solution um, I think that the you know the companies that put the software on our phones make more money if we spend more time on our phones. So that's never going to change. We're always going to be spending too much time on our phones. 
Unless we like actively step in and say no, thank you, and do Unless what Jason you does, buy shoddy flip phones and, <laughs> and, and, and and never put them in the same room, you know, that you're in. Jason, thank you for solving our problems. Anytime. All of society's problems. I have actually. all you came of on the answers with your Samsung Galaxy Z flip because you are Gen Z. And you have offered the solution. You already made that joke. And it was offensive the first time. (laughs) Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll do our recommendations. I'm Reid Hoffman. And I'm Aria Finger. If you're interested in learning about how technology and humanity can come together to make a better future, then possible is for you. We invite ambitious builders and deep thinkers like Trevor Noah, Kara Swisher, Sam Altman, and so many more. Help us sketch out the brightest version of the future and what it will take to get there. If you want to be part of the future today, then subscribe to Possible wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, this is the last part of the show where we go around the room and each of us recommends a thing. It could be a film, a book, a television show, a podcast, a life hack for our audience. Jason, as our guest, you get to go first. What would you like to recommend to our listeners? Well, you won't be surprised I hate podcasts and television, (laughs) two dominant (laughs) mediums of our time. Uh, So I will recommend that very old-fashioned thing, a book. I'm reading uh, Anaximander right now. It's by my favorite living physicist, Carlo Rovelli. He's one of those uh, loop quantum gravity guys. And Anaximander is his kind of biography of the ancient Greek philosopher who basically gave birth to modern science. He, he realized that the heavens aren't just above us, they're all around us, which he says is, a, is an insight on the level of anything Copernicus or Newton or Einstein would later say. Nice. Read an Aximander. I continue to be fascinated by you. Will you marry me? <laughs> I just feel like I would live in endless fascination. Can I at least move in with you? I'm speechless <laughs> for once. Nothing. I, I have no idea how to respond to that. Get me off this podcast. <laughs> oh, I, I just live my wired existence continually rejected by Jason, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay. Don't we all? Yeah. Never give up. <laughs> Lauren, what is, what is your recommendation? My recommendation is that you marry someone you find endlessly fascinating. Okay, I have an actual recommendation this week. But first, I want to say... Have either of you read the New York Times story about men who say they have podcasts who have a hard time finding a date? Yes. I No, I don't read New York media. <laughs> <laughs> you realize we are a part of Condé Nast. Yes, I'm very... Do you know that Condé Nast is in that big, that big building downtown? Okay, let me clarify. In... About five mm-hmm. years ago, I decided not to read any publication with New York in its name. Not even the New Yorker, our sister publication? Certainly not the New Yorker, (laughs) which has done incalculable damage to American letters. Whoa, we're going to have to do an entire other podcast That's for next time, folks. (laughs) So not New York Magazine, not New York Times. I stay as far away from these 
so-called magazines as possible. All right. Well, Excellent. Well, all I'll say is that if apparently if you two are ever looking for a date, you should not lead with, by the way, did I tell you about my podcast? <laughs> yeah, because it's very damaging to one's dating life. I found this so funny. I sent it to, it was a weekend and I sent it to Mike. I said, have you read this? Good thing you're married. Um, my actual recommendation this week is is swimming. I've gotten back into swimming. I really like it. I and I once. think this goes once. In high school. What was the experience like? Tedious. Loved it. Oh, <laughs> loathed it. Loathed. There was too much water. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, this This is like, is part of our theme of don't forget to touch grass or whatever it is the kids are saying these days. Go touch grass. Is that what kids are saying? Yeah, they're saying I that. I they were saying go smoke grass. No, they're saying. Gonna be excited. No, the modern, the modern generations are saying like touch grass as a means of like, get go get off the computer, go outdoors and live your life. And so- right. I um I remember when I first moved to Northern California and Silicon Valley several years ago, the apartment complex I was living in had a pool. And so I did take up swimming and I really liked it because it was the perfect antidote to being on my phone and screens all the time. And I've just gotten back into it. I haven't been able to go out in the ocean lately for various reasons. The weather's been terrible. The wind's been bad. The bacteria levels have been high. But I've now found a pool, an indoor pool in San Francisco that I can go to and swim once in a while. Um, and it's it's just wonderful. What's your routine? Great. What do you do? I just swim laps for like 35 to 40 minutes. Is there a stroke? And I'm you not just, just freestyle. In? Just like, yeah, I'm just freestyle. And I wear a, a Garmin sport watch so I can get a sense of what I'm doing. But also, the goal is like, I'm not super tracking it. I don't really care about how much time I'm in there. I don't have a speed goal. I'm just in it for the experience. I'm in it for the breathing. The experience, the experience. of swimming back and forth in an indoor pool. <laughs> yes, it's, it's also salt. Yes. And do you, yeah. do you listen do you like um, listen to podcasts? No, while you're no. There's <laughs> no God. technology aside from the Garmin watch, and that is the that's the best part. Yeah, I'm just I'm underwater. It's bre- I'm breathing underwater. Would you say it's like meditative? Yeah, it's totally meditative. Nice. Anyway, Mike, what's your recommendation? I can't top that. <laughs> Would you like to go swimming with me sometime? <laughs> sure. Yes. Okay. Thank Not you. Me. Um, I want to recommend Jason. a book. Rejection. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to recommend a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a book that I'm sure everybody in the world has read except for me because it's five years old, but it's called Why Buddhism is True by Robert Wright. Very good book. You like this book? I do like this book. Oh of my Of course God. he's read it. Well, I only remember one. He stays indoors and reads books. That's all he does. <laughs> I only really remember one scene. I think he describes a friend who's able to go into the dentist for a filling, say, and not ask for Novocaine because he can slip into a meditative yeah. state and basically neutralize the pain. And yeah. Wow. I remember that image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in the book. Uh, so it's it's basically a look at how meditation works and how enlightenment works in the brain. So it's a book about Buddhism and it's a book about Zen meditation and Vipassana meditation. But it's also a book about science. Like there's stuff about the default mode network and how to turn it off. And it has some uh, uh, quasi soft key instructions on meditation. Uh, Talks about the benefits of meditation and why some people can't realize them. Uh, And uh, it's his own personal journey into this world. And it's really fantastic. A really great book. It's not the kind of book that you're going to read and, you know, get a lot of like Buddhist doctrine from it, although there is a lot, particularly in the first half of the book about uh, like the Buddhist teachings and how that translates into 
what you think about or do not think about while you're sitting down to meditate. But uh, the the real thrust of the book is about like what meditation does to your body and how your brain reacts. And it's really fascinating. It makes the case that Buddhism is in many ways the s most sciency of the world religions, which is, yeah. of course it is. Yeah, because uh, it's about like it, it, the, the, the practice of meditation is about shutting down the mind. Right. How much of this book is a Western interpretation of Buddhism philosophy? Uh, well, when he talks about like the 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 sutras and the teachings of the Buddha, he actually looks at multiple different sources. So he'll look at like the very very old writings, and he'll talk about you know seventeenth eighteenth century interpretations, and he'll talk about modern day interpretations too. So it's a, a pretty thorough overview, I think. Jason, do you meditate? Uh, I wish I could say yes, because I 100% know in my bones its benefits, uh, but I struggle hmm. to, to meditate. I, I, I have at points, I think, um, but I, I wish I did every day. You know, they make meditation apps for your phone. God. <laughs> No comment. <laughs> there are also really good podcasts you can listen to that'll help you meditate. Yeah, like Tara Brock. Uh -huh. It's my favorite meditation podcast. I think we're done here. He's staring. He's staring at us. For those yes. of you who are listening, you yeah, can't see his facial. Twelve oh one. He's like he's us. yes. All right. Well, that is our show for this week. Jason K. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It Jason, was... I'll just be waiting for your response to my proposal. Your marriage proposal. <laughs> You'll be waiting a long time, Lauren. It was truly a delight to have you on the show for your for your insight, for your uh, alternative worldview, and just for your general beingness. I appreciate that. I, I I'd say please have me back, but <laughs> I'm not sure anyone wants that. <laughs> I don't think that we can handle that much intellect. Exactly right, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, thank you for writing your story and and of course for co-hosting. Oh, this is so much fun. I want Jason to come on every week. <laughs> and thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter and or Mastodon. Just check the show notes. Our producer is Boone Ashworth. We will be back next week. And until then, goodbye. Namaste. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Review's Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. From PR.